when they're born that guides them into understanding good and bad. And so I believe that people who have no idea who Jesus is can be following Jesus, can be saved by his grace, can be doing good things in his, through his power, even if they have no idea who he is. Welcome to Latter-day Lens, unscripted, faith-promoting discussion of current political events with Sean, Sam, and Matt. Hey listener, welcome to another exciting episode of the Latter-day Lens. Good to have you with us. With I'm here with Sean and Sam, and I'm Matt. So we'll start out with the mailbag. So one listener writes, I really can't wrap my head around why people have such beef with TikTok any more than any other social media platform. Imagine the state of Utah suing PlayStation or Nintendo for the amount of time their kids were spending on gaming. Shouldn't parental involvement be a better solution on monitoring what kids are watching rather than government bans? Yes. There's no, oh, okay. <laughs> and then they say, why aren't, why isn't Utah like banning Facebook and other meta apps? Which, by the way, did you guys see that there's a lawsuit that they filed today? 33 states are suing meta for, I don't know, this sort of thing. Guess who's not a part of the lawsuit? The state Utah. of Utah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Idaho, Kansas, all these conservative, not Utah for some they reason. We don't like to days. sue places. We like to ban them. So, <laughs> yeah, so I don't think, I don't, the question, Sam answered the question. <laughs> oh, wait. We already decided last week that uh, government has no place banning TikTok. Like, it's silly. Sue them, take their money and whatever, but uh, allow the market, the free market to restrict it. But the problem is China, isn't it? China. Everybody's well, that's why afraid people of- care about TikTok, right? Because yeah, everybody's China. afraid of China right now. They don't want TikTok getting all of our personal data. And then when the you know invasion happens, they know where we live. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But we're not worried about Meta or Google. Google knows everywhere I've been for the last 15 years. Yeah, but the <laughs> like, Chinese don't have that. Oh, yes, they yeah. do. Sorry. They have everything. China could never hack into that if they no. needed to. No. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the bigger thing with TikTok is China. Yeah. Okay. This is, I don't know, Sean, I think you're trying to make this podcast about religion, but that's okay. This is from a listener. And so we've got, to- I'm not the, I'm not the one I- that said something that has <laughs> then been hounded on by I know, people I know, for I know. months for you to answer. You're the one that said it. <laughs> Another listener asks, as an evangelical, I appreciate the honesty from Matt in saying he thinks traditional Orthodox or evangelical Christianity is much further from true Christianity than many non-Christians. However, he has not provided any examples or clarity about that claim Ooh, and even point. tried changing the subject when asked for clarity. Please provide any example of a non-Christian religion being closer to true Christianity than Orthodox Christianity. It's a bold statement. How about Scientology? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) since the listener is an evangelical, I'm going to go to two Bible verses. All right. And I'll even read them from the New Living Translation because I think they like that one better, right? So James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Mm. And then the other one is... Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So then I'm defining true Christianity as... 
acting the way that Jesus would act, right? There's also that verse when they say, when did we see you naked and clothed you and hungry and fed you? And he'll say, and he says, in as much as you've done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. In order to be a true Christian, Jesus is telling us, you don't have to say Jesus, Jesus all the time. You don't have to do everything in his name. You just have to be good and you have to live the way Christ would have you live. And you have to be kind and charitable and help the poor and help the needy. And I see atheists doing that. I see agnostics doing that. I see non-believers doing that. And so in my view, that's closer to Christianity than the people who get all caught up in the divisions that the that evangelicals and other Christians want to make in the world. They want to be like, we're the true Christians, we're the right church, we're the right way. You don't call him by Jehovah, some religions do that. You don't say, I accept Jesus and profess his name, and so you're not really Christian. And I say, that's not what Christ was teaching. Christ taught, live the way he lived, follow his teachings, and it doesn't even matter that much if you say, do everything in his name. Wow. I've never really heard that interpretation of those two scriptures, but that's interesting. That's got me thinking. And I certainly am going to hear it from my my friends who listen and who are really wanting your answer to that. I didn't expect that answer. And that's an interesting answer. The, okay. It's a good They're answer. Right? Well, so what distinguishes us, I think, from other Christianity is there's two things. We believe that grace not only saves you when you die, but grace helps you do good works when you're here on earth. Grace helps us to do good things. And I take from that an eternal view where I say Christ helps people come to him even before they know who he is by helping them to change their lives and do good work. So they don't have to necessarily know Jesus in order to be partaking in the grace of Jesus. And that's because of this other thing that we believe, which is the light of Christ. We believe that everybody has the light of Christ when they're born that guides them into understanding good and bad. And so I believe that people who have no idea who Jesus is can be following Jesus, can be saved by his grace, can be doing good things in his through his power, even if they have no idea who he is. That's well well done. I think you've answered it, and we'll give him plenty of fodder to come back. There you go. Do you, do, do you think that applies? To, like like, but sometimes we as a church talk how kind of about a strict doctrine of well, wait a minute, Christ clearly also taught that you have to come unto Him for salvation, and which means you have to have faith in Him and His identity. You have to have repentance, and you have to be baptized and enter into those covenants. So there are very specific things that one must do. But you would be saying, yeah, but. An evangelical isn't doing those things necessarily either. Right. right. Well, so what I'm saying is true Christianity, right? So when, when Christ says what pure religion is, it's taking care of other people. When he says the things that matter the most to him, it's how you treat other people. And I believe that the people who exercise faith in him will, you know, they'll accept his ordinances or they'll accept him. But you don't actually have to know him in order to accept him and to follow him. That's what I'm saying. A Buddhist who's never heard of Jesus, who doesn't know anything about him, who's following what he thinks is like the Buddhist teachings, we believe that that's the light of Christ guiding him to do those good things. So there's good people all over the world who are behaving better than Christians because of the of Christ's grace and Christ's power. That's what I, I don't know. So to you, it has less to do with kind of the specifics of doctrines, and it has more to do with not behaviors, because it's not it's not the works that people do. Well, Jesus is pretty clear Christ. about works. You have to feed the, you have to clothe the naked and take care of the widows and take care of the okay, poor good. and the hungry. Yeah. There's all kinds of works you have to do. Okay, good. Good one. <laughs> okay. Good job, Matt. <laughs> Apparently talking about Muslims celebrating Jesus in Bethlehem wasn't enough. So we have a little bit more depth on that now. Okay. Well, that's all from the listener mailbag. Unless, Sam, did you want to say something about that? No. <laughs> 
okay. I'm going to leave it to you. I think it's great. I think, uh, I, you know what? You, you <laughs> now have two solid examples. So we'll go with that. All right. And, and so I do I get the first thought provoker, Matt, for yep, the day? You're, yep. You're up. All right. So can I vent a little bit and share something that's massively frustrating? So you all know, everybody knows that I'm in the business world. Yes. <clears throat> so I get to watch people as they develop their careers professionally. We know in religion, in the gospel, part of our purpose on being on earth is to repent and prepare to meet our heavenly father, right? And it's, we, we know that this life is a becoming, right? We start in one place through repentance, through faith, we become a completely other person. So why the heck does society put so much stock in participation trophies? So <laughs> what I mean by that is in today's world, in the business place, even I would say in many church settings, people are more concerned about accolades for the sake of accolades and attaboys for the sake of attaboys and girls than they are about real <laughs> what's, progress. What's so, an attaboy, like, Sam? I don't know. An attaboy atta, yeah. is when you have a podcast and you are giving topics to each other and you're vying for points. It's actually oh, a sandwich. Oh. It's an ice cream sandwich, too, is an attaboy. They're really good. But <laughs> No, that's a fat boy. No, there's also an attaboy. It's chocolate covered, very oh, similar, okay. but. So, so why have we in our, in, in our world today taken away adversity and challenge and struggle? We want to just give everybody participation trophies in the workplace. You think about it in the church. We used to have a very, a pretty rigorous scout program. Girls and young men fought to get. Guys, the Eagle Scout. I don't even know what the Girl Scouts went after. What did they get? The Young Womanhood Medallion. Young Womanhood Medallion. It was a struggle. It was a challenge to to, to get it to achieve it, right? Not everybody yeah. got it, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, we'll put this in the notes, but there's some great research that, that shows, and I'll read this, it harms a child to constantly praise a child for merely showing up. It artificially raises self-esteem. Trophy actually takes away from the motivation to improve. It keeps kids from feeling frustrated and experiencing failure. And then, Matt, you meet them in the college setting where they're oh. fragile and they can't take, they can't take a little bit of criticism and their parents have to jump in and save them, right? I yeah. meet them in the workplace where they struggle to perform at a basic level and they fail before they become adults to understand a simple truth, which I learned from an NCAA f uh, basketball coach, uh, Tom Izzo, and he said, hey, one of the things that's killing collegiate basketball is the NIL uh, transfer portal, the transfer portal, where these athletes, when they come up against adversity with a team, they can go transfer and play someone else, somewhere else if they're super talented rather than stay in a place, go through the adversity and the struggle and become a better player on the other side by learning to work with a team. What should our take? This is the question. Sean, you first. What is our obligation as members of the church? Is it to allow adversity, avoid participation trophies, and find a way to reward based on meritocracy or or otherwise, Sean? Mm -hmm. Good question, Sam. Well, I think there's certainly a place for some, you know, tr trophy style. Uh, everyone gets a place, right? There are some people who are truly uh, disadvantaged, you know, like I've got family members who either have mental um disabilities or and and it does kind of mean a lot to them to be a part of a, a program or a, a game or something where they participate and can enjoy in the the wins right so i think there's a place for it but i think the latter-day lens would teach for 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 most of us uh being accountable is more important than having false rewards 
So I think I'm going to be on your side that the meritocracy, I know there's many who don't like the, I don't think I agree. Yeah, no, I'll, yeah, I think the meritocracy side, it wins out, Sam. I think I agree. What don't you agree with Sean? You almost went down a path. We almost got, we almost got Sean to be honest. Give it to us, Sean. (laughs) Well, you brought in the word meritocracy and doesn't that, Matt, and Sam, doesn't that, that's referring to a political system. Well, no, it's just, it's just you, you get based on your merits, right? So it doesn't have to be political. It would be like in a job, you hire the person who's best qualified for the job. So. Yeah. See, Sean, I'm trying, I'm trying to have you take us back to scripture and say that, that the atonement, uh, solves for all the meritocracy and it allows for participation <laughs> trophies. But yeah. Listen, so Matt, you know what's why, your take? Do you know why businesses oh. give away junky awards that don't mean anything? Because then they can pay people less and they'll stick with their jobs because they'll be like, no, my job really values me. I got a gift I've card seen, this Friday that, all the time. I've, and it happens I've to me that. in my work. I get like these engraved plaques of way to go. And I'm like, stop it. I didn't do anything. <laughs> if I really did a good job, give me money. Like, don't give me this stupid certificate and then a gift card to the university store. Like, that doesn't mean <laughs> anything. Like, how about you compensate my effort? And then that will motivate me to do more. So businesses do it because it's a cheap, simple way to keep employees happy. And you don't yeah, actually the, have to give them but money. But the problem exists well before you come into the employment place like it exists before you arrive at college it it manifests itself in grade inflation in high school i mean kids so that have 4.2 that- and can't spell good right like <laughs> that's, that's a problem so, <laughs> so that comes from and i this probably happens in the business world too when you have customers evaluate the performance right then you're going to as a as a business you're going to try and cater to those customers well what happens in schools is you're having students and teachers evaluate the performance and guess what they care about they care about grades and so you get grade inflation if you're if you're like a referee or you're some some kind of a coach right they evaluate you based on not your team performance they evaluate based on their kids performance on your team so there's all these weird incentive structures in society that say like just give people what they want. Just tell them what they want to hear. And then they're going to leave you alone or they're going to give you good reviews or something like that. So I don't know. I don't think that that's all ba- bad. If I'm being totally honest, I think that that's fine. <laughs> like the, we don't live in a meritocracy. We don't live in a world where if you work harder than the next person, you're going to achieve more than the next person. We live in a world of yes, like, we favorites. do. No, we don't. Yes, Sam. we do. No, we live in a oh. world where who you know is more important than what you know. And I, be- where you I believe that partially, but that's not an absolute truth. It's so rare to like. There are so many deserving people. Like if you say deserving, right? There's at least in my world when we look at job candidates and I say who gets hired and who doesn't get hired, it is not a meritocracy. Matt, so it's many- the American dream. It's the American dream that you come here from another country and you work hard. And as a result of your labors, you pick yourself up from wherever you came from and you teach your kids the English language and about the American economic system. And they're provided opportunity on the backs of your labor and your merit. And they go on to create a better life. That's the American dream. It absolutely is true that if you work harder, you can create a better well, result. Is it perfect? Well, the, it's not, but it's better. The truth, the truth of all dreams, Sam, is that they're not actually real, right? Oh, a no. dream is a word that we use for like a lie or a myth or something, right? If I say like sometimes Liberal, my wife, Democrat, <laughs> communist. Sometimes- Sometimes in the morning, my wife will be mad at me and I'll be like, what did I do? I and she's understand. like, I had a dream last night that you did this and this and this in your dream. And I'm like, that's not real. And it's the same thing with this American dream that you keep telling me about. It's not real. It's like a myth that we tell Wait, ourselves. Hang on. You don't think the American dream of, of, 
of coming to this country from another place that's disadvantaged and and you have no opportunity to to outperform your social class, your economic class, all the other castes and 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 places other countries put you, you come to the United States and you're on more of an equal footing where if you work hard, put in an honest day labor, you have a better chance of getting ahead. You don't think that exists? Tell, tell the Chinese about that from the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1890s to all the laws, the TikTok we just talked about banning today. It's not true for everybody. Not everybody it's has not, equal no, but opportunities. It's not true for everybody. And I agree that it's not perfect. But don't you agree that the American dream is live and well? If it's not alive it's and well, myth. you're the problem. It's not the myth. It's not a myth. You're teaching our kids in a university setting that it's dead and it's a myth. I think that oh it's better goodness. for them to be aware that there is not a meritocracy in the United States of America, that you can work Matt. hard and you're not necessarily Matt. going to achieve. Sean, what do you disagree with what Matt's saying? Merit. I do full. I give Sean yeah. all the points I mean, two and things. some extra points. <laughs> can- two things though. Two things though. There's what, one that it, it can be true at the same time that there, of course, is no. Nepotism. You're handing out participation no, 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 trophies. You do no, not, no, not do I'm that. Not, I'm not. I'm not. Decide, dang it. I am. Give me the. I got two I'm things. He's gonna, oh, believe me. Eventually, he's going to get on your believe side. Believe me, Sam. <laughs> believe me, Sam. I'm coming to your side. Just let me say the first part. So. There, there's, of course, nepotism. Yeah. There's, of course, meritocracy. There's, of course, uh, racism, like un- unfair sexism, advantages. Sure. There's all of that. Yes, there is. So, so, religious for, inequality. So for, right. So for you guys to kind of talk in the black and white is, is not quite accurate, Matt. When you shake your head, no, 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 no. I don't think that's accurate. Because now if you go to Sam's side, man, we could talk here for hours and hours about people we know, people we know collectively in common that have absolutely, based on merit, Work their ways to achieve some amazing, wonderful happiness in this world, which is the American dream that Sam's talking about. Sam or Matt, we could talk for hours and, and talk about. Come on, people you can't that have done that? that based on solely we, on we their know. own merits. Yes. No, no, right, no, right. You have American, to have help. You you have to have help, but but that help is more readily in historically. It's been more readily available here in the United States of America. That is the American dream. Is that so, you can throw off some of the chains that bound you in other countries, like organized crime in Ukraine, right? A caste system in India. Uh, is it perfect? It's not perfect. I see it every day in my business where somebody who really wants to work, who's really interested in putting in their best, they, they raise their position. They have a better shot at it. It's not perfect, but they have a better shot at it. And you reward them by compensating them with money, not with trophies. And so the reason that you have these trophies is because there's some people in society that no matter how hard you they work, cynical, they aren't going to merit man. something better. And so we say, have a trophy. Like, this is what you've earned. Like, this is what you get. You get this nice little trophy, <laughs> this nice little certificate, and Not we're going to keep you where you're at. Because if you true. really, really value what they're doing, you don't give them a little, like a I, No, I agree. At, so You give them so, something more. So in our business, <laughs> we recognize that people value both. That people want the economic piece. They need the income and we provide that. Also, we recognize that you've got to acknowledge people, but you can't just hand out participation trophies when someone does their basic job and that's it. You've got to recognize people for doing things above and beyond. They've, it's, it, I, I do believe in a merit. I, I do believe in a meritocracy. Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. If, if we become better as we struggle to achieve, the church did away with the scouting program and the Eagle Scout, the Eagle, that was a tough thing to get. It caused young men to develop over time. Should they bring something 
rigorous like that back as an achievement. People could present to universities for acceptance. It, it was used in, <laughs> right? It, it was a big deal. Ask me if I'm an Eagle Scout. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> there has never been a single day in my life that I regretted stopping at Star Scout. And not continue on. Like, there's nothing about the Eagle Scouts. Like, uh, the Boy Scouts program, in my opinion, is the epitome of giving you awards for nothing, right? Yeah, actually, I hey, agree with that. Hey, you said I agree 100%. For three hours. I retract the question. All right, Sean, you get all the points. You get all the points because no, I no, completely no, no, disagree no. with Matt. And I think Matt is is uh, ruining uh, the people that he's teaching by saying that the American dream is dead. And I wish every listener that we have, how many of our five, six people, seven people, whatever, will you write the pot? Matt, what's our email address? It is the latter day lens at gmail.com. Will you please tell Matt that the American dream is alive and well? And will you encourage him kindly, gently more than Sean and I can do to, to preserve that and to do his part as he's educating these young minds to, to continuing that, that to dream, help them that remain in their blissful slumber, unaware of the realities going on around them. I'm giving the points to Sam for this because Sam clearly believes in the American I do. dream. And that, I mean, you gotta, I mean, these aren't just like giving you points. You earned that, Sam. You earned the points for maintaining oh a belief in the American dream. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll pipe in and give Sam the victory because I love his passion for it. And I think it's an optimistic, unlike Matt's pessimistic message. That's true. Message. Real- Sorry. Go ahead, Sean. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm going to give Sam the, Sam the victory because it's it's Sam gets, it's an important message. It's optimistic. He gets the points for talking about the American dream without including the space program. So that alone <laughs> deserves points. It's, okay. It is idealistic. And usually it's the liberal Democrats that are idealistic. On this point, I'm idealistic and I'm right. Go ahead. Although you are, although you can't argue that it's a pure meritocracy, right? No, I don't. I don't. I I argue that we're better if we are more of a meritocracy because we encourage people to do tough things. We know that when people do tough things, they become better. We meet the better version of ourselves on the other side of adversity. That's truth of human nature. Mm. Okay, come on. Well, that's not why I'm giving you the points. It's inspiring. I like it. I would just move on. All right. Okay. So Martin Scorsese has this film that just came out called Killers of the Flower Moon. Have you guys seen it? Not seen it, but heard about it. I don't have his, a lot of time budget. for television. I'm working really hard. This this is a movie, Sam. <laughs> okay. This is a, a movie. So it's actually a three and a half hour movie. Uh, so far, <laughs> I think he's got a $200 million budget that he spent on this movie. And opening weekend, I think global box office is $40 million. So Taylor okay. Swift outperformed this movie. But according to the critics, you got to see this show if you haven't seen it before. Hmm. Anyhow. My question is, so this is based on actual events that happened in Oklahoma in the 1920s. So not that long ago, the 1920s. So the okay. Osage Indians were moved from place to place to place across the United States. Eventually, they were settled in this area of Oklahoma and oil was discovered on their land. And in the late 1890s, they started becoming a very wealthy people and Americans were racist. I know. I, I Sometimes I say Americans are racist. That makes people mad. But we can all agree 100 years ago, Americans were racist. And they <laughs> were not happy that these Native Americans, uh, they were sort of like um, challenging their view of, of, the, of society and the way things ought to be. So Congress passed a law in 1921 that allowed... Um, that, that allowed states to like do this sort of competency test 
And if, if you were ruled to be insufficiently competent to manage your wealth, then the state could appoint somebody who would manage your assets for you. And in the state of Oklahoma, competency was determined by less and less Native American blood in your system. So the more full-blooded Native American you were, the more likely you were to be ruled that you were incompetent to manage your money. That's and then they racist. Would appoint yeah, I know. And That's then they would terrible. appoint they would appoint a white person to manage the assets of the Native Americans. And really? what happened that the uh-huh. And then what this movie is about is a lot of these white people, once that happened, started killing the Native Americans. And so these mm. Native Americans just started ending up dead and the white people inherited their assets. This is like all the backdrop for this big question, right? So Congress passed the law, Oklahoma State kind of enforced these laws that took wealth away from Native Americans and gave it to white people. So does the U.S. government or the state of Oklahoma, do they have some kind of a moral obligation now to look back and say, look, we allowed racist uh, right theft of wealth from Native Americans. Sam doesn't like this question. <laughs> he, he keeps he bringing this. Wait, you found 10 different ways to ask this question. No, no, this one's about Native reparations. Americans. Reparations. No, this is, this is Native Americans, right? And this is like a very specific case. And I only brought it up because it's, there's a movie about it right now. That's, yeah. That's, I have you know, an idea. It's, it's so in Sam, the dialogue. Yeah. So, yeah. I have an idea. Do? I have an mm -hmm. idea. How about if Martin Scorsese took, how much did it cost to make this movie? Two, $200 million. Why doesn't he take 200? That's a quarter billion dollars. He mm -hmm. should have just take that, taken that money and paid repatriate. What's it called? <laughs> Reparations. Reparations. Who's he going to give it to? To the tribe. The white the, people in Oklahoma? Tribe. No, the uh, Osage. The descendants of uh, But Martin Scorsese, Martin Scorsese didn't pass the law. <laughs> Congress passed the law. Martin Scorsese didn't appoint white people to take the wealth of Native Americans. I think it's tragic and it's painful, and I don't know much of the story, but um, I just told you the story, Sam. This yeah, is, you know everything you but, need to know about. But, the story. but I'm going to go back to the the problem I have in the state of California, where they're paying people that were uh, that that were done wrong 1.2 million dollars per person, depending on how long you've been alive and how long you lived in California. I think it's challenging for a government to be responsible for every wrong done to every people. I think it's better but, to provide is, opportunity. I'd love to see that quarter billion dollars go into some sort of a fund to give opportunity, education, opportunity, economic impact. Okay, so and, pause for a second. Yep. Ask yourself this question. I want you to picture in your mind oil tycoon from Oklahoma. Now, okay. is it an is it a Native American? Okay, so we know where the oil tycoon from Oklahoma got the money from. So Matt, so can I so just Matt, take it the, from them and give it back? Yeah, but where does well, it Matt, end? Does, does, where does, does the, the madness end, well, Matt? Well, hang on, Matt. I mean, does the movie show? What about? Does it show evidence that you could, in a civil lawsuit, you could point to this person or this family took from this person or this family? Couldn't a civil lawsuit maybe fix the situation as opposed to a, so this a, was a sweeping reparations? So this was 1921 that the law was passed. And as recently as 1970, any book that talked about this history in the real way was taken out of the libraries in the state of Oklahoma. Like they've been That's trying, to, evil. They've been trying right. to cover up the history, yeah. right? We That's do have crazy. FBI investigation into the deaths, but you could easily look at the wealth transfers, right? There's going to be court records of this is the person and so, this is so the So why not civil lawsuits, Matt? Why wouldn't civil lawsuits solve this? Okay. You're saying it's too long ago? Hey. I mean, I suppose one way is to go to the courts and have a jury award money. But couldn't you also just say the yeah. government did this? Can't the no, government? Sam, no, 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 no. Because Sam's, Sam's point is 
Sam's point is Thank right you, on. Sean. If the government's job was to take every single wrong that was ever <laughs> committed by the people or by then a law, it would kill the American there's dream. There's no end. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> kill the American dream. <laughs> There'd be no space program. <laughs> the cheesy oh. movie that Samler's refers to never would have been made. <laughs> Listen, if the government passes a law that allows people to do horrible things, can't they? The scriptures are clear on it. Okay, what's, what do the scriptures say? DNC 134 talks all about it, right? That men will be accountable for their acts in relation to making laws and applying those laws. And if those laws take away from preach, Sean, that's the awesome. liberties. <laughs> I'm preaching the liberties and the rights of 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 God's children. Then those are wicked, evil laws. And that our job, it says, the solution is our job is to fight hard to get righteous people in place who will make righteous laws that protect the liberty of people. And so, unfortunately, I, th- I think the approach, w- which you can see some progress, progress in, right? Mm-hmm. Those systemic, racist, evil laws somehow got on the books. Those are evil and wrong. Mm-hmm. They've since been overturned. They've since been changed. Right. Because yeah. we got better people in place to change those laws. And I think scripture teaches us that that is the right way to do it. It is unfortunate and sad. But I mean, who doesn't go through? An, no, I won't say that. That's listen. That's when the Mormons were kicked out of their homes in Missouri in the 1830s, they went to try to get redress. Right. Because they were kicked out of their homes by the state of Missouri and they never and got nothing. it back. But it didn't right. mean. But Joseph Smith tried and all of the saints tried. And so I think that there's something righteous about trying to get your property back when the government yeah. unlawfully, well, in this case, passes a law that allows them to lawfully seize your land. Don't you? Have- Wrong. Evil. Yeah. Redlining is evil. All those things are racist and evil. But Sam's, I like Sam's point, which is every single wrong has been like, there's so much, Matt. It would be a never ending, uh, the, all, every, all of our resources would be, be put into just righting the wrongs that have been done to everybody. Okay, well, I want to give yeah, the points. Yeah, some more than I others. I want to give sure. the points to myself. Well, <laughs> I object. For what? For reparations. What? I, I made a really. I feel like I was really thought provoking, and I feel like I made some really. But I didn't. I guess I didn't provoke any thought. You guys are okay. Who are it, you guys going to give the points it, to? It. You know what? I will go watch the movie at some yeah. point, and 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 I'll award points after I see the movie. I want to see how. Oh, okay. uh, I want to see how okay. empathetic this causes me uh, to be. In, uh, in you may change. Do you know who your, the killer your, is your... in the in the movie? No, Robert De Niro. Right. Oh, so you got Robert nice. De Niro being the white guy killing all these Native Americans. That's terrible. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. that's terrible. All right. Well, so then, Sean, are you going to give the points to me? Sean, say How no. How important is it to you? No, it's not important Matt. to me at all. We just have to award points. And so you I'm have to, winning like, so who, far. No, Sam gets it. Sam, Thank Sam you. gets it. Thank you. All right, next topic. <laughs> okay, sorry, Sean, Matt. You're sorry, Matt. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get the points on this one, Matt, because yeah. I know you're going to take the opposing view, which I I, I love. You, I'm grateful for. Otherwise, we'd all agree. On There's, okay. What's this one? Okay. Well, let's see. Let's see. Okay. So a new book out by University of Maryland economics professor Melissa Kearney. Stay in your lane. Is getting a t- Stay in your lane, Melissa. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Uh, I might have jumped in. Oh soon. man, dang! She's getting the book is getting a lot of attention. It's everywhere. NPR, like podcast videos, it's everywhere. So she claims <laughs> wait, wait. is NPR what? everywhere? <laughs> it's just one. Example. Sorry, go ahead. It is actually <laughs> okay. Yeah, go you ahead. can ask your smart yeah. speaker to play NPR no matter where you are. Can you really? <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. New York Times, Sam. You want me to watch it? New York Russell Times. Brand. I can go on and on. <laughs> Candace. No Russell Brand yet. Okay. Candace. No Russell Brand yet. You know that Candace. So, okay. So okay. she claims. 
Okay, so Melissa Kearney claims with clarifying bluntness that marriage is the most reliable institution for delivering a high level of resources and long-term stability to children. And she marshals the voluminous evidence in her new book, The Two-Parent Privilege. Stay in your lane. Okay. Stay in your lane. Okay. okay. So, the, in the, so, so here's part of her, uh, some of the facts. In the U.S., American children are increasingly being born and raised by single moms. The U.S. has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households now according to a 2019 Pew Research study. Mm. Almost a quarter of all U.S. children under the age of 18 live with one parent and no other adults. Mm. So her argument that children who grew up in unmarried households are fighting the odds has progressives miffed. There's been a backlash of progressives, and they're accusing Kearney of stigmatizing single mothers. But conservatives are celebrating her findings as validating their support of marriage. So for decades, Matt, liberals, and you got to defend this, (laughs) have run away from... I'm not saying you are, but you represent them sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) So for decades, liberals have run away from this issue of marriage and single parenthood, afraid of stigmatizing unwed mothers and their children. So now some are wondering whether the conservative marriage movement embraced by President Bush, for example, is on to something. Can government help? So here's the question. Can government help poor communities by promoting marriage and have families disintegrated in the wake of the liberals' expansion of the welfare state? Well, that was easy, Sean. Those are easy questions. Wait, let me ask you this. Okay, so (laughs) almost a quarter. So 23% of U.S. children under age 18 live with one parent and no other adults. To me, that seems like a success. That means means 75% of kids live in two-parent households. That's amazing. Uh, 77, technically, by my math. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 70. <laughs> right. That's a lot. A quarter. So a quarter, you're celebrating that a quarter, one quarter of all the children don't have. Yeah, that's actually really, really Maybe good. don't have dads in the home. Well, yeah. That is terrible. Uh, that's terrible. The, how about this, Matt? The, the, the Asian community, uh, I think it's like 90% of the kids have both parents in there. Yeah. Home. So it's a cultural <clears throat> thing in that case. Well, so, so there is, there are real problems that come, uh, from, from people living in poverty, right? There's all kinds of bad outcomes in society that come from a child being raised in a, a low socioeconomic status home, right? And so what she's arguing is marriage reduces the probability that a kid's going to be raised in a low socioeconomic status home. So my, my only problem with the argument is that like this idea of people cohabiting people living together but not being married to each other that's a relatively new recent phenomenon right like the last maybe 20 years and so i don't know how far back she goes with her statistical trends but um the challenge we don't have the challenge with the claims she's making is we don't have enough experience with this that's not true she read the book she covers that clearly she says the trend of people who don't get married Mm -hmm. The trend is that they don't marry right. and they do break up. That is the most common trend. And not only that, Matt, but it was in the 50s or something like that where uh, it was something like 4% of children in the United States were with a single parent. 4%. Now today, 25%. Yeah. You can't tell me that that's not a terrible, scary statistic. And the fact that there's so much causal evidence now that these kids who are living without only in a single parent home they're not thriving. They continue to be poor. They continue to not get educated. They continue to go into crime. Yeah, single parents. How can parents, you say this right? is not a big deal? Well, so so what yeah. I'm saying is this statistic that 50% of marriages end in divorce, that's been happening for a long time, right? So I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea that half of the marriages end in divorce and you still have 77% of kids living in 
homes with both parents? I, I think that's easy. It doesn't say 50% of, so if you, t- I know a guy that's been divorced five times, oh, yet see. most of the people I know have never been divorced. So divorces are, are, are a high, you know, statistic, but people who get divorces are not. So the statement that I was taking um, umbrage with is this, okay, so marriage is the most reliable institution for delivering a high level of resources and then long-term stability to children. I don't think anybody would argue that marriage is good for children. I think that the argument is whether it's the best way to provide a high level of resources for children. Because there's But this the this this study is being embraced by both left and right and the evidence is that the left just doesn't want to acknowledge it. Yet this author Kearney is liberal. Yeah. is saying we cannot ignore this. This is clearly a way to help social mobility. This is clearly a way to do it. And all of her solutions she's shown out there are really good solutions, like um, uh, housing vouchers, right? Because that's the statistics show that that's married? well, the single mom who, when you when you elevate people out of the slums, they start making better decisions, like getting married, like education, these types of so things. So then now There's I feel like you're good- arguing for universal basic income. If we oh, give no, people not, money, then they no, no. we take them out of the... Well, what's a housing voucher? A housing voucher is like giving you money, right? To, How, to, to buy a housing house. Housing voucher is... if you this, It's the same as a school voucher, right? There's a certain amount of money that's available. From and if you government. qualify... Yeah. For, it's from the government, yeah, yeah. But the government pays for schools, right? So there's a certain amount of money available. And if you apply, then you're going to leave that hood where you never could get out of that poor neighborhood. And go into a neighborhood of affluent people. And the statistics in this study show those people get married more. Those people have kids who stay in high school, stay, go to college, all those statistics. Yeah. So you think that there are so people why are, that are, why are, yeah, I don't ahead. think that anybody wonders whether kids in a, a home with two parents do better than kids in a home with one parent. I think everybody agrees about that. The question is what kind mm-hmm. of marriage or how are you defining marriage, right? Does it have to be no, a mother the, the and a qu- father? Then there's not every, so mad you, about that. You can't say that everyone agrees to that because what happens is you have a whole school of, sorry, Matt, academia, <laughs> higher education, and progressives. This is what the study shows. I'm not saying no, this no, I want to know what, what the academics, academics well, are what saying. What they marriage say is bad. No, what they say is it's a non topic. We shouldn't talk about it because it stigmatizes certain racial groups and it stigmatizes single women and it puts blame on them and makes them feel bad. So let's make it a non-issue. Let's not talk about it. Let's not promote marriage. In fact, let's do the opposite. Let's put, let's implement policies in government that almost do the opposite of promoting marriage. Like there's a couple of, there's a bunch of case studies she gives where a woman with children is going, is deciding between if I marry my, my boyfriend who's, income is lower than the assistance that I will receive, then we will suffer. Yeah. So I'm not going to marry this person. And my kids don't have a male uh, person in the home, which means they have a lower chance of leaving poverty, a lower chance of graduating high school, and so on. So even if they make more less money, it is better for that man to be in that household. By far, the statistics Wait, that's show. what she's yeah, saying in yeah, her look, book? That's what the book, the evidence is showing in her book, overwhelmingly. Overwhelmingly, the presence of the father in the home is the biggest indicator for people getting out of poverty and graduating high school and going to college. So can I tell you why those sorts of arguments bother liberals and academics? Yes, that's what I want to know. Why? My brothers and sisters (laughs) who are liberal, how could you possibly ignore this? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Reason number one. 
um, for a hundred years, the United States intentionally broke up African-American families and sold them off as slavery. So there were these strong African-American nuclear families, and then institutionally our government broke them up. And then even after the end of slavery, in that whole civil right, then there was a, another whole period of time where they continued to break up African-American families. So for us to now say, hey, the solution to problems is marriage, and then not acknowledge the role that the U.S. government played in breaking up nuclear families. So, so if you want to say marriage is a good thing and marriage has all these positive outcomes, then somebody else is going to say to you, then the United States government owes reparations to African American oh, no. families. They, they're going to, because if, if you really, if that's truly the argument of liberals, then shame on them. Why? It's for true. not saying because the millions of kids who would benefit from marriage and they're going, yeah, we better not talk about it because then we're going to have to. Well, they're not saying do something let's don't talk, talk about, about it. They're saying, yes, they they're are. saying that that's the United States had a policy of breaking up families. And now we want to attribute all kinds of positive outcomes to marriage without acknowledging the harm that we did in the past and breaking so, up those so marriages. Igno so ign ignore it. So bury that hide it and don't move forward and build strong families because then we'll have to talk about reparations. Well, no, nah, I don't buy it. Matt. I'm saying that's one side. It. Then the other side is um, marriage and ch having children like statistically and historically harms women in their careers. So if you, one of the reasons that if you take a man and a woman and they have the exact same job, but the man makes more and the woman makes less is because a woman takes time off of work to go have a baby and she has to put her career on hold. And so we say, Oh, this man has more experience. Another is because. So it's a, so liberals are selfish because what that's saying is that we should strive for our own progression instead of caring about our children. We should go after our own careers instead of doing the right thing for our children. Wait, what? It's a very self weird. <laughs> I'm just telling you why yeah, the, I'm just telling you why these arguments parents, bother academics and Sam, if two. Sam, if two parents are deciding, okay, yeah. we're, or two individuals are deciding, we had a kid together. Right. And the statistics show that if the wife is at home, then this kid will, has a better chance of being out of poverty, so, going to high school, so, so, graduating college. So I'm going to debate that a little bit because I know some people who've made a decision that the husband will stay home and be the primary caregiver. Yep. And the, yep. the, the wife has the best earning economic potential. And so she goes out and, provides mm -hmm. the economic assistance and the husband does a great job at home. And, and I don't think they suffer any because they're working together at that. I also know other people that have made a decision. They both work, right? And, and they, they navigate ways together. They negotiate ways together to still provide for their kids as they're going up through those formidable years and provide them the education and they'll, sports and other opportunities I mean, so i but but you're arguing you're but you're arguing that married people are making these decisions and the statistics well, show that the uh, married people stick around commit to the kids and yeah they live different there's all kinds of different ways to be married and raise kids i just thought but what I, matt's saying i, thought I heard you, liberals won't get married i thought i heard you say that the wife is the better one to stay home and that that no okay. i wasn't saying that i what just i'm saying is feminists don't like that argument because no. the the supposition in society is that the man's going to go to work and the wife should stay home. And in the 70s through the 90s, that was reflected in careers and advancement and all of that sort of stuff. So, so what I'm saying is like this, this idea of traditional marriage has been used in the past to oppress women, 
and to oppress racial minorities. And so if you want to now say, hey, this is the solution to our problems without going back in the past and saying, and we were wrong back then. We were wrong when we used marriage to oppress women. We were wrong when we broke up families in slavery. If you want to acknowledge that, then then by all means, the, I don't think the liberals would be mad at you. But it's by, but it's, I don't think, I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone would disagree that there was in the 1950s, there was a giant and, and wrong stigma against single moms. And, yeah. and, and all the way yeah, through the there, 90s. there was, and, and everyone disagrees, and everyone agrees, but then you get the 70s changing the tide and going the opposite direction and basically saying that there's no more stigma. In fact, let's go all the way. Let's de-normalize regular marriage man and woman, two parent marriages, and they went the opposite direction. And that is the direction our country is going now. And all studies show that even with that stigma, the, the children come out far worse when there's not two parents in the household. Far but worse. What I'm saying is we don't have the same kind of historical evidence for this, the case that you're making as we do for the other side, right? We have 200 years of, of history in our country with marriage being a certain way. And we've only got like 20 years of marriage being kind of redefined and rethought. So to say outcomes no, with children, we don't have enough data points to really look at that. I mean, that's that this book, this book disagrees with that big time. Well, I'll have the to, data shows that I'll have to read the book. Yeah, read it. I tried to, okay. I tried to get the book, but I wasn't <laughs> able to get the book that quickly. And it was like so, $25. And so before our next episode, I have a movie to watch. <laughs> Matt has a book to read. And then I'm going to withhold my points until there's enough data to support one view or another, Sean. But, I, okay. but until, until then, I'm willing to give Sean the points because it was an interesting conversation and it got us thinking. All right. And it was very thought provoking. Good yep. job, Sean. <laughs> nice job. Today, I, got, I only got points for myself. So that's okay because I was the one that took the side of let's give participation trophies to people. And you guys didn't like that. <laughs> Dude, so you killed okay. the American dream. That's that's insane. <laughs> and gave yourself participation <laughs> points. You run me. out of the... Hmm. All right. So the big question for this week comes from a listener. They said, your gun control discussion reminded me of something I think Republicans get wrong. So already we know that this person is probably not a Republican. I'd love to hear your responses. In the Republican mind, the origin story of totalitarian communism goes like this. First, a free and democratic country decides to provide unemployment benefits. Two, I didn't read this before. Go they ahead, provide health care to everyone. Uh, Three, their children read Marx at college. Four, they vote in a communist dictator. But so stop there. Sam, you're a Republican. Is that how you look at it? Yes. Or not? Yes. No. You, yes. Is that how you look at it? You can, you can, you don't? Where does communism come from? You could replace universal basic income with unemployment benefits <laughs> under one, and I'd probably be okay with that yeah then you'd then you'd be agree. <laughs> yeah. okay all right okay that's fair so so number one is a free and democratic country decides decides to provide universal basic income yeah. and health care <laughs> and send their kids to a marx a marxist college and then they vote in a communist dictator but the history of communism is almost the exact opposite it goes like this an oppressive and wealthy dictator runs a country for the benefit of the wealthy like the romanovs or batista or the Qing dynasty uh, he ignores the suffering of his people. He lets his wealthy friends plunder the country. The workers rebel and kill the dictators are or emperor. One of the rebel warlords becomes a communist dictator. So historically, makes the things path far worse. So historically, the path to communism is not to provide health care and education for the working class. That's the path to becoming Norway, which for you guys who might not know, Norway is a great place to live. 
It's a great place um, that's irrelevant on the global stage, but go ahead. There is no skin cancer in Norway, as far as I can tell. The, the beaches are very rocky and cold. Uh, but the there's no to, American dream. The path to communism <laughs> is ignoring the poor and giving handouts to the rich. So mm. the big question is, let me think, what's the big question? So then why are you guys so afraid that we're going to turn into a communist society if we do universal basic income and give people health care? Because that's not really how that happens, according to this listener. So Levi, what so, I would say in this case is that Universal basic income and this progression to, towards con- communism is basically participation trophies for everyone, right? That's not, we meet the best version of ourselves when we go through some adversity and some challenge and we grow and develop. And if there's not a good incentive to do that, then you end up Norway. And so you, you, I'm going to have a little different take on this. I know. You so are. there's this, there's this new concept in political science called democratic backsliding. And so it's mm-hmm. true that what what this listener is talking about, um, this idea that you're going to vote your way into communism by providing universal basic income and unemployment benefits and all that stuff, that doesn't happen. But it's also not true that the only way that you get a communist, or let's just say an autocratic society, is by overthrowing some dictator. Because we can look at Russia. I put links to these in the show notes if people want to look at it. But democratic backsliding is basically what you see happening in the world today. So you can go to like Venezuela, right? Chavez was uh, a democratically elected person who went the path of communism and socialism, ran Venezuela into the ground. You can see this happening in Russia with Putin. You can see this happening in uh, Hungary right now. And there's a whole list of countries that they go from a democratic regime into an authoritarian regime. Yeah, it's not by, it doesn't happen by giving benefits to people. It happens by people electing autocratic individuals, people who want to bring authoritarianism to themselves, right? Uh, um, Belarus is another example. Mm. So <clears throat> to me, like that's, that's how you get to communism in our modern world. It's not this like overthrowing a dictator or something like that. You get to communism by individuals voting for bad people. So, but isn't, but it isn't the listener's real point that not so much here's the real path to communism, but more guys, Republicans, you, uh, Universal healthcare is not going to lead to communism. It's going to lead to different forms of yeah. I think the uh, listener, examples in the country. Yeah, I think the listener the is saying if you if you pass universal healthcare, you're taking care of the poor, and that makes yeah, communism not. less likely or something like that. But yeah, but I think the so, point that I would make is, and I know this is going to upset you guys, especially Sam. It triggers you a little bit. The Republican Party today and who they're voting for and the individuals that they're supporting are doing more to lead us towards the path of an authoritarian regime than the Democrats are when they say, let's give people free things, right? Because if you look at like elections and free, like if you look at democratic processes in the United States, there are more Republicans just as elected officials who are willing to say, let's break the rules, let's change the rules, let's tear everything down rather than go along with losing then there are Democrats on the other side. And you see that in the House of Representatives, right? Republicans can't elect a Speaker of the House right now because there's a faction of Republicans that just won't go along with the majority unless it's a person that they want in the majority. And those Republicans are a threat to democracy. 
So, Sam, let me mansplain this to you from Matt's perspective. <laughs> Donald Trump is more of an authoritarian, <laughs> and January 6th is the evidence of that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Not Donald Trump. I can just say Matt Gates. I can say Marjorie Taylor Greene. I can say this group of 20 Republicans that's in the House right now. No, that's how that's, they are. Like, but, you see it but, happen just today. But I do with, uh, with uh, Mike Jones. Uh, who was Emmer, right? Emmer was the guy from Minnesota. Emmer. He got the majority of the conference. And then it's like, okay, everybody like get behind this guy. He's going to be our they're leader. following the rule. As, as much as I hate what's going on, they're still following rules. There's no like, no, let's no, no, break no. down the system. Of and- course there is. The Republicans have so, in their so conference. Emmer, Emmer, Emmer withdrew. Mike Johnson was, uh, is, is the latest up, right? So, so why didn't, why did Emmer withdraw? There, there's no be- path. Right. Why is there no path? Because the 20 Republicans so, or whatever say we're not going to support him on the floor. So I think everybody here has heard me say many times the Republican Party is in a bizarre moment, right? It, yeah. it, it's a fractured, splintered party. It, it, it's a party of extremes for the moment. I truly believe it'll end up coming back to center at some point and, and will find its heart, will find its purpose, will find its platform. Because what you're describing is not the Republican platform. Um, now what I'm saying is that, so. but there's a greater threat to I agree d- democratic I agree. backsliding when you have people like that in office. Yeah, than there is with universal basic income or healthcare or something. Well, like I that. disagree on that. You, you universal that? universal oh, oh. basic income leads into communism simply because it takes away the incentive for excellence. It inflates, uh, it deflates the value. It, 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 you end up pumping so much money into the economy that inflation runs rampant. That creates a whole set of problems on its own. And before you know it, it's chaos and anarchy and a banana republic. But so, that won't happen because so, so nobody's going to vote. Ba- nobody's going to vote. Uh, nobody's going to vote universal basic income in. So there was a time when uh, we had a little bit of a breakthrough and we realized that Sam is anti-union and I'm pro-union. And I think like in this podcast episode, what I've discovered is Sam is afraid that giving people things they haven't earned will make them lazy and that that will destroy society. And I'm in favor of giving people things that they haven't really earned and don't really deserve. <laughs> yeah, because, because you don't believe in the American happy. dream. <laughs> it, here's the thing, Matt, is you, you, I, I think what, what, what that position fails to understand is life isn't just about having stuff. It's not just about life is about creating things better the world. And the United we both States agree is, about that. The, the United States has done a phenomenal job of that. And that doesn't happen because some pixie dust sprinkles down <laughs> from the sky with $2 million in a grant or a gift. And all of a sudden I'm inspired to go out and create and take risk. That happens because you work hard, you make contacts and connections, and you're in the right place at the right time, and you take a risk. And that risk ends up yielding results. And then is it perfect? No, it's not perfect. There's some real jerks that have become business leaders or have created innovation that have paid off. But generally, that's I mean, that's the American dream. I will never give up on that. You need to rethink your life. (laughs) (laughs) Up until the last statement, that was the perfect way to end the podcast. So I stop teaching students that the American dream is dead, Matt. Dang it, Sean. (laughs) Oh no, I'm gonna have to rewrite my exams for tomorrow. That was all. It was like (laughs) name five ways that the American dream is a myth. Yeah. Hey. It was really good. To, you had me super inspired and happy, and then you told me Double I had to rethink my life because yeah. I was, I was, I was like, I, he's right. The pixie dust isn't working for me anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what that is, by the way. It may not even be. 
maybe ins- an insensitive statement, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> hey, listener, thanks for your comments. We like it when you reach out to us on the mailbag. And thanks for listening listening to us. If you have other comments you'd like to make, especially because Sam called you all out and told you that you need to tell me that I'm wrong. If you want to give me points, like you could just email thelatterdaylens at gmail.com and say Matt gets 50 points. Like that's good enough for me. That would make me super happy. Is the American dream dead? That's what Matt needs to no, see. No, no, and no. It is not dead. <laughs> don't, don't let Sam, <laughs> Sam mislead I know, you. I, Sam, I know what your next, next week's topic is going to be for you. Is the American dream dead? Yeah. Yeah. Is the I American just need to dream do it, Sam. And, and do it? Yeah. Hey, yeah. listener, talk to you again next week. Join us next week for another exciting episode of The Latter-day Lens. In the meantime, subscribe, give us a like, or visit our website, latterdaylens.com, where you can see our archives and other episodes. You can comment on the show at thelatterdaylens at gmail.com, all one word. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you for making us one of the most listened to podcasts. We love our listeners. (music) 